Welcome to the Powercast with Charlie Johnson. I'm one of the world's leading fitness and transformation coaches. I'm going to be providing you with the tools to build your ultimate body and mind. So, absolute pleasure today to have uh, Eric Seifert, the mastermind of uh, muscle activation, MAT, uh, muscle activation therapy. Is that how you pronounce it, I believe? Um, yeah, mu- muscle activation techniques. Techniques, sorry, therapy. Which is, yeah, no, it's okay. Everybody says the same thing. <laughs> Do you get that a lot, I'm going to guess? Yeah, almost everybody inserts therapy in there because it seems logical. Um, yeah, it seems like such a therapeutic process, right? Yeah, 100%. 100%. So um, I first came across you, Eric, and MAT, actually listening to Ben Pekulski's podcast, and I was literally fascinated with um, the progress you'd actually, you've made, obviously, with some of your clients and people have used MAT. So I obviously then reached out to you to ask you a few questions. Um, mm. And then you obviously subsequently referred me on to Ryan Phillips uh, in mm. the UK, who's, who's made a huge amount of difference to me personally, which we'll go through in further depth. But um, how did you initially come up with MAT and what exactly is it in, in essence? Well, so I'm, I'm one of the practitioners of MAT. I'm also an instructor in the program, yeah. but uh, I was introduced somebody uh, when, when the developer, who's Greg Roscoff, decided to teach it. I was ex- exposed to it really early. One of the guys that was in the very first um, group of people invited to learn it was from Toronto and it's based out of Denver in, in, the, in the U.S., um, and I really had like an experience right away with, you know, something therapeutic wise that I'd never experienced before, which was, uh, I played football in university, uh, yeah. American football in university. And, um, when you play football, you're used to a lot of therapy, you're used to a lot of heavy training, a lot of time in the gym, a lot of time in the training rooms. Um, and so I, I kind of experienced you know, I had my own experience of what therapy was for. You know, I also had an understanding in my mind of if you play hard, you have some battle scars and some of the things after you stop playing, that's just normal pain and restriction. And that's it's almost and a bit of a sorry state of affairs that people expect to like feel injured and beaten up after they finish their playing career or <laughs> yeah, having yeah. going to the gym for a few years. Like they, they expect that things should hurt, which isn't really the right attitude to have in my opinion. Yeah. And it's kind of the funny thing is the descriptor is, you know, where you're thinking it's normal versus common. Yeah. You know, I find that a very common, a very, an easily misunderstood term is that if you hang around with a bunch of football players or you hang around with a bunch of bodybuilders, they all hurt a certain way. Yeah. So they all, they all say, yeah, yeah. That, that becomes the norm then, doesn't it? This then becomes the normal. But if you, you know, if you say, wait a minute, not everybody, not everybody feels that way it's just really common to find bodybuilders hurt this way or in these areas. It's really common to see football players with, you know, some level of problems, but they don't all hurt the same way. So, you know, if you never really break the spell, it seems like, yeah, that's, that's a a normal experience. And this was interesting for me when I first got off a table um, from MAT, you know, from an MAT session. And I thought, I don't have some of those things that are always there. I don't feel some of the things that are normal and common and never change are all of a sudden different. And so that was quite a huge um, experience. And I know you could, you've had your own experience with MAT, you know, here you are an experienced exerciser and you know what you're doing and you've invested in doing the work and somehow, you know, your foot mechanics don't ever change and you right. go 
Yeah, you go see someone and it's and then all of a sudden there's an opportunity for you to say, wait, there's an opportunity that I never thought was possible. It's um and just talk about that a little bit to be fair. So obviously I, I messaged you directly, obviously I've got severely flat feet. So I've yep. I my opinion got foolishly thrown into orthotics and basically sold told in the English terms proverbially to sod off and just deal with it. Um, <laughs> which wasn't probably the best advice like 15 years further down the line. And um, it's given me a lot of knee and hip problems, loads of other issues. And obviously, after messaging you, I was like, oh, let's give this a try and see what, see what it's about. And after having the first session, I literally, I stepped off the bed and I literally was just got my like, jaw and hit the floor. I'd never like, just, it sounds bizarre, but even just walking around just felt like a whole new experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, within within about four weeks or so, I literally have binned off the orthotics and never really looked back. To be honest with you, um, yeah, massive, massive difference. Yeah, and so imagine the 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 difference of oh, this never changes. It hasn't changed for fifteen years. Um, I have orthotics because my feet are bad, and uh, and I'm and no matter what we do, my feet just get worse. Or you know, and, or they tell you just stop lifting weights. You know, you're just lifting too much weight. You should, you're creating your own problems. So now you have a choice. So I keep going down this path of exercise that's supposed to be healthy for me, but all they do is just give me thicker orthotics and, yeah. you know, and, and then all of a sudden somebody says, wait, maybe that's not the story. Maybe that's not the story that you have to, to, maybe that's not the whole story and, and there's another option. And so I think that, opportunity to give people an experience or to to ask questions of their body and say wow nobody's even looking at you know can these muscles contract properly i think and that's that, a- I was saying nothing was contracting like my feet almost become dormant where like did a test right. you know what it was called on my big toe where i like, literally sure. i had no strength in my like toes at all like nothing they literally were not firing um yeah and after the first <laughs> session they were like they're up and running again within reason and it was literally my mind was blown to be honest with you, completely shocked. Yeah. And imagine, so a lot of times when I'm describing, um, because I teach, sometimes I have to, I'm in a position to have to convey a lot of this information in different ways. And, and if you look at the exercise world, um, uh, and I've said this on, you know, to some other people in other scenarios, but it, almost every, every exercise is, is really like a recipe. You know, if I said, Oh, you believe Joe Weider principles or you, listen to um, MI40 principles or, or N1 principles or any one of these things and they tell you this is an exercise for pecs and this is an exercise for biceps and this exercise for whatever. And, and you do those exercises and you do them enough and the work seems to spill into those areas. Well, they're great recipes, assuming you have all the ingredients. And so imagine piling up the mileage on an omelet recipe. You're just doing it over and over and over again and nobody's ever checked if you have eggs or not. You know, so here we are telling you to get deep into a squat and you don't have dorsiflexion um, at your ankle because of some, some toe function. Your body's trying to say, wow, we just don't go deep. He's fine. Oh, he keeps putting weight on his back and killing himself to get way down there. I'm going to have to figure out how to, to help him with that. And like compensation. You know, yeah. Now compensation is, a, is a, something helping you versus, oh, you're cheating. You know, oh, you're doing it wrong, you know. It's um, it's an amazing thing when, like, you just have to almost like believe and think outside of the box where you get casted out by so much of the, the mainstream. I don't know, suppose you call it medical community or fitness rehab mm-hmm. community, where like they just go from a textbook and they don't. It, everyone has some very like two dimensional thinking. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's something you've come across. 
Yeah, I mean, so a lot of times when I'm, I am describing it to other people, because we do get chiropractors that become MAT practitioners, we get uh, physiotherapists or, or you know physical therapists, we get all num- number of different types of therapy people, as well as personal trainers and strength coaches and things like that. So almost everybody is has been given almost a rule book or a, or a paradigm or a lens to look through. And very often, it's, uh, what's the saying? If you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You know, so sometimes, you know, so sometimes when you have a very specific tool, you start asking questions to, you know, almost with that perspective of that tool use. And so, you know, Hey, this is tight. We need to stretch it. Hey, this is too loose. I don't know what that really means, but we need to strengthen this. And, you know, your posture is too loose on one side and too strong on the other. You've done too many back exercises, not enough chest exercises. You, you know, your hamstring is too weak compared to the size of your quads. So, you need to somehow change the ratio of that. Like there are so many ways that we keep trying to apply some very simple rule book to, to, you know, this is what your answer is. This is what your answer is. And, and, you know, for the most part, I spend all my time dealing with um, kind of three different archetypes of people, which generally don't, don't comply to the standard of care. You know, if I work with very, very injured people, they're um, they don't usually, you know, comply with normal. And if I work with high, high level athletes, they for sure very often don't comply with normal. Their demand of performance is, you know, they push themselves harder than everyone else. They perform at a level harder than everyone else. And then there's people in the middle that, you know, look like they're fine, but somehow there's something different about them. So if you do a normal medical process with them, a normal training process with them, um, they don't somehow adapt the way they're supposed to. They don't seem to recover the way they're supposed to, or they don't evolve or, um, you know, grow muscle the way they should. And you say, well, we're doing 14 different, you know, arm exercises. How come you don't get biceps, you know? And, and that's where you would just say, well, I'll just throw more volume on it, or I'll, I'll just hit it harder, or I'll just overpour everything on top of that. I think Does that make sense? They think working harder is necessarily the solution, where it's not working harder, it's working smarter and finding out why whatever you're doing now isn't working or isn't productive because there's always yeah, so, why something is mm, as efficient. Yeah. Like a hundred percent. So if you didn't have the ingredients, we could do, we could keep trying to, you know, make a steak, but nobody gave you a steak. So you've got everything else, but steak, it doesn't, how many people do you know in the bodybuilding community that do, you know, chase very elusive calves, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you ever seen some, have you ever seen some people with amazing calves? And you say, what do you do for them? They say nothing. Yeah, and you're like, wow, what? You know, I walk a lot. You know, you're like, what? And then you ask some people that don't have calves. And you think, dude, find a leg day. You know, all you're doing is training arms. And you watch them. They do like a thousand calf raises in a workout. And they still have no calves. And you're thinking, well, they're doing all the exercises. Do they have the ingredients to, to even respond to the stress? Like, where's that work going? Um, would you say, like, obviously, I spent a lot of time with uh, Ben Pekulski and Jordan Shadow last week, and they talk a lot about uh, stability, obviously, like the hip, at the scapula, depending on, obviously, what muscle you're trying to train. Sure. Would you agree that, like, the MAT therapy can make a big difference in, obviously, improving those stability points? So then, obviously, increase the oh. tension you can put on muscles and then, obviously, help them grow further from there? Yeah, I think one of the bigger areas that, that if they're talking about uh, spine and scapular motion and spine and hip, motion and stability, those are massive um, opportunities for you to 
pick up development and be able to actually, you know, either move a lot of weight or control um, something very well for a lot more time, like whatever you're going to try and do to create stimulus. I, if you don't have scapular, if you have poor scapular motions, you're, you're asking for all kinds of trouble when you start piling up all kinds of shoulder related motions that are, whether it's pec or, you know, delts or arms yeah. or, you know, or back, those are all going through shoulder. I mean, you hear, you hear, uh, bodybuilders go through splits and they say, Oh, I do my arms on, I do arms on one day. I do shoulders on another day. I do back another day. I do pec on the other day. And I said, well, you train shoulders four days in a row. Like, no, no, no. I was like, yeah, you did. You train shoulders four days in a row. Whenever you're using your upper body, there's some involvement of the shoulders. Isn't there? Yeah. Your shoulders have to be involved somewhere. You know, obviously we're talking about where's the moving limb is the elbow moving. We're going to feel more elbow flexors or extensors, but the shoulder extensors and flexors have to be involved too. So you know, if you have shoulder stability issues, it's going to impact some level of development or some level of overuse that you're trying to, to obviously avoid, you know, like, wow, he was a great bench presser until he wasn't, you yeah, know, and he tore, tore a peck. Yeah. Yeah. And it's game over from there. hundred percent. And then, and then you see lots of people that say, you just got to deadlift more and they have really poor uh, hip mobility. Yeah. You know, they have lack of internal rotation. Um, at 90 degrees or something like that and, and their body, so, you know, we should say we should get deeper and, you know, we should be squatting or deadlifting off platforms so that we can get even deeper and I'm like, or your butt should be on the ground and touching your, your ankles. And I say, well, wait a minute. What if they have no ability to flex their knee? What if yeah, they have no ability no to range flex either? Yeah. Yeah. They have no range, but somehow their body is smashed into that position because, that's where results will finally happen. If you finally just go deep enough, you know, it's, um, it's an interesting analogy that with, with, is there any particular movements you find, um, work in terms of like an overall body movement that will help with a lot of these issues that maybe are perhaps more functional or is there anything particularly you could recommend? So for example, myself, uh, I've identified another issue I have is very poor thoracic spine mobility. Um, sure. so like my upper body doesn't move particularly well. Uh, rotationally or, or just generally uh, is there anything you found that's worked particularly well with athletes or strength training individuals well i would i would say that a lot of people don't focus very much on breathing of all things yeah so probably um, well. you know we, we have some yeah we have some motion misunderstanding when we get into trunk and spine you know training or if people throw the activation word around most people really don't understand um very well how to to breathe and and if if you say that to a it's funny you say that to most people are like what no i'm doing it right now you know it's <laughs> like i'm breathing see um but if we started talking about athletic movements and and trunk and spine control and and everybody now because of such a i don't know if crossfit is as big over in the uk but uh, yeah um, sadly you know well i mean good or bad they, they gotta <laughs> be doing you know they gotta be doing busy yeah, they keep me busy. Uh, I mean, they they've got to be doing something right if that many people are motivated to do some stuff. Yeah, you know? I, I love the it's, team ethos of it. You know, I, I think there's many many things that we that if you add a little bit of common sense in there, there there could be some very big positives. It's when it gets a little crazy that you know that I'm like, like, why are we people? Why are we watching this on YouTube? We should not be cheering. Um, but they have such a huge dominance of athletes that are now doing overhead movements yeah. and so obviously now all this overhead um sort of focus uh you know whether it's walking on your hands or you're going to do more olympic lifting or 
you know, nobody's really asking whether you should or not. They're just saying this is the new, or ball tosses up walls and stuff. And nobody's asking whether you actually have the range for that. Like they haven't, they haven't said lift your arms all the way up. Can you get to 180 degrees? Okay, I guess now we at least have the opportunity to do some, you know, walking on your arms or some shoulder push-ups or whatever. If you if you don't have lack of, it's more like if you don't have that thoracic spine able to move, which is part of that motion then your shoulders are the ones paying the price for that. So yeah, I would definitely say that. Yeah. I would say some breathing things are, are kind of a hidden way to look at, you know, do you even understand how the rib cage is supposed to hinge? Um, do you catch yourself holding your breath in a bunch of movements? Do you, do you use, you know, angling your breathing uh, and your rib cage to, to complete movements? That's going to turn into sort of bad habits down the road when people say, Oh, I have to be a low back squatter because I don't have any thoracic extension. I'm like, well, that was a problem that, that, you know, wasn't solved a long time ago. And now you have a, you know, a much harder way to fix it. Yeah. I think that's the point, probably the point on that personally myself, to be fair, I've trained for a long time, but I've now discovered the importance of all these factors in terms of how important it is actually your body moves correctly and functionally. So a, you can protect your joints and soft tissue, and then B, you can actually maximally put as much tension through a muscle as possible to get the most development from it, um, mm-hmm. which is obviously the main goal of probably most people we listen to on, on this podcast. So in terms of breathing, have you got any tips to help with that that you'd recommend? Yeah, so if you, if you thought of the movements of um, how the rib cage moves, if you picture the, the top six ribs, like where your sternum yeah. typically, like sort of top end of your sternum, they, it moves in a direction that is sort of away from you and towards you. Like if you pictured a, you're almost like a big giant could lift your rib cage up. Yeah. Most people, when they lift the rib cage up, that's the, the top six. That's called a, a pump handle. If you describe the motion, yeah. like an old fashioned Western movie, you know, with a water pump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, if you just pulled that out, most people go <gasps> and they would breathe in. But the bottom six ribs have two attachments and move what's called a, a bucket handle. So they, like a, like a paint bucket or a little kid's sand bucket kind of thing. And so those actually fold in towards the body, in towards the middle. So they move from the outside in where the top six move from the, the front, like more anterior to posterior. And so those two motions, if somebody doesn't breathe real well from the bottom, they actually just keep trying to breathe more from the top. And so you start seeing this major dominance of almost like a chest up, chest up kind uh, of so um, chest posture. Breathing. Yeah, they end up getting this very high chest breathing, and then you see a big chunk of posture that changes. So they don't end up having a, they could say core strength, or they could say they have core activation, or all these fancy things, but they start becoming almost, it's kind of funny to say, two-dimensional, because they're moving forward and backwards so much for almost all their breathing movements and all their, their, their effort movements that they stop having like their body stops becoming a column. Does that make sense? Yeah. And to be honest with you, you pretty much probably just summed me up to a T because uh, Ben Pekoski pulled me up on that on Friday. Uh, oh. <laughs> so that, that's probably fairly close to myself as well with my poor thoracic mobility. Probably is all encompassed mm-hmm. there with that one. Um, yeah. And, and so if you were doing, if I had to pick on you just even over the phone and I'm not, you know, looking at you or assessing you, but if, if he was picking on that, and I said, hey, the only way that that thoracic spine gets you more and more air, it just keeps getting more rigid and more rigid and more rigid. Mm-hmm. And so that upper thoracic becomes so locked into giving you more air. Uh, I would say like nose breathing, funny enough, in high effort stuff is a funny thing to 
after command. Um, well, so like when you're like heavy, when heavy training, close your mouth and make sure you're just breathing. Yeah. In. Yeah. Close your mouth and, and force yourself to breathe. And then, and then obviously you might have to adjust some of the loads and the whatever, or you might have to build in a different recovery model because you know, basically when you want more air, there's a whole bunch of stress response things. There's sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system things that happen when you, when you say, I'm going to open my mouth and, and I'm just going to get more air in. Yeah. But if you can, that, that, obviously starts tipping back your posture so profoundly and you've tied that into every time you get high effort exercise, I get stiffer thoracic. And so there might be some stuff to, to mitigate that. If I said, Hey, you're going to practice, you know, breathing. Like if you just put your hands uh, sort of laterally across your ribs. And if I said, I want you to breathe out as hard as you can and feel like you actually have purposely have to effortly breathe out because most people don't, it's more like relax and breathe out. But if I said to you, breathe out and feel how your ribs get closer to one another, you know, more from the, from the outside in. And if I said, now take a big breath in and try and move those ribs, they literally lift upwards and outwards. And sometimes if I'm talking to a client, I might say, breathing with your gills, you know, like if we're a fish. You breathing know, with your gills is, is a very good analogy to think like that, to be fair. And I suppose yeah. the deep breathing through your nasal cavities, that, that's opening up the lower ribs more, taking it away more from the thoracics. Yeah, it forces you to start to use your diaphragm better. And then you start to, yeah, and so that could be something that, that you have to change a bit of the effort and have to pay attention to technique a little bit, obviously on some heavier loaded stuff. But even that simple thing, if you said, wow, I got to this load, and my breathing has to shift. And now I can get more reps, but, I'm, but my technique has changed. Maybe I don't want to do more reps or put more load on the bar without losing this trunk and spine stuff. Yeah. You know? That's, uh, that's amazing. I'll tell you what, one of the other big things that's made a massive difference to me in the last hmm. four to six months, similar on this sort of uh, line of things, is using nasal strips when sleeping because I'm naturally a, a poor... Uh, mm-hmm. breathe it through my nasal cavity anyway and that in itself is made like life-changing so yeah uh, some people some people also are doing um it's like a piece of scotch tape over your mouth uh yeah I, I tried that but it just freaked me out to be honest with you i thought i was getting it, it is a, it is a bit of a stressful thing <laughs> yeah, the, the nasal strips is right that the mouth mouth tape that that that's not cool that it doesn't yeah. really go down too well yeah it might be a question of time it might be you know hey you have so much time and exercise that is that is this type of breathing that is mouth breathing that you might, you know, cause you're a high effort guy. It might be like, Hey, I gotta, I gotta learn to kind of organize that a little bit. And then it might be, Oh, that's way too advanced for me at this point. But after nasal strips and I work on my thoracic spine and I see that kind of coming around, you might go, Hey, maybe I'm up for the challenge. And, and it might just be, it was too big a challenge at this point. Yeah. You jump too much in the deep end of the pool in one go. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think there's a lot of the analogy. I think a lot of people in the fitness community or strength training or whatever it is, they, they have a lot of that. Like they, they skip the beginner stage of everything. We'll try and go to the most advanced mobility drill possible <laughs> and do a really shoddy job of it. And then suddenly realize, okay, I need to go back to the basics here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. For some reason, basics sounds like, uh, um, you know, like special bus, you know, <laughs> basic sounds like, Oh, that's for the slow kids. And yeah, you know, I'm, I'm way, I'm way uh, too jacked or advanced for that. I don't need uh, that I'm going straight to advanced and, you know, and the bodybuilding community, um, as much as I love it, you know, does have a challenge of constantly trying to find a way to get farther, faster, bigger, stronger, you know, and what secret of the pros can I find? And, and so they'll, 
you know, take huge leaps into things that, that, uh, they might, it just might like, wow, that was way too far. You know, they could have made a seamless, uh, you know, entry into some of these things, but they take such a jump forward into more advanced things that it becomes quite a stumbling point or, you know, becomes a, an injury or it becomes, wow, that's, that didn't work for me. I'm like, well, yeah, but you, you jumped, you know, a 10,000 step <laughs> yeah, you, from one to zero, you know, one yeah, to, from step to, to step Z straight away. Yeah. And it's like, you know, from W to X, it wouldn't have been so bad, but you went from A and it's like, that's, you jumped too big a step. Yeah, it's, it's a quite a common one. So obviously that, that's a great way to work on it, obviously improving the upper body. If you've got anything, obviously the other, the big problematic area, which I think obviously people probably think is a lot of it is back problems, but it's more to do with the hip. Have you got yeah, anything? Yeah, I mean, that yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think, I think dorsiflexion, um, dorsiflexion limits in the ankles yeah. is, is probably something that people really would never pay attention to. Um, Cause you know, in terms of show muscles, if somebody said I had a big anterior tib, wow, look at that. You know, <laughs> I think a lot of people are not really um, going to spend a lot of time on that in terms of just not seeing the relevance or not seeing how it ties in to, yeah, to better hip motion. And, you know, people are seeing massive quads, but they don't see great, you know, hamstrings. And uh, I'm like, wow, you know, hamstring development might be linked a lot more to ankle motions and how well you control all that stuff. And then that in itself turns into better pelvis development. And that pelvis development develops, it turns into better hip stability slash, you know, trunk and spine um, help. And then, and then you start seeing that kind of build out from there. So, so I think that dorsiflexion limits and things like that aren't a cure-all, but it's an area that nobody really loves, you know? Yeah. Again, it goes looking for those areas of, solutions to problems where most people aren't, aren't thinking so obviously you mentioned in terms of ankle dorsiflexion again something that i'm something like a cripple here but um something again i suffer with obviously i've had a few mat treatments made a big difference but is there anything anyone at home could do that would help with them with this like personally i found like even just loosening off the tissue underneath the bottom of your feet using like a lacrosse ball or like an accumulability ball works really well just to like almost take a bit of the tension out um but yeah. like you find it's worked well with people well, so there's lots of different things because everybody is a little different and everybody has to be their own best assessor. You know, they have to, to kind of judge what works for me versus, oh, I'll do what Ben says or I'll do what Eric says and it'll work. You know, it's really more, can we get people to pay attention? Some people will respond very well to, you know, soft tissue stretching or soft yeah. tissue self, self-massage things, um, but they don't follow it up with any they don't follow it up with any, it's almost like, Oh, I'll get it loose. Now we're good. And so what I would say is that, that something that is, is mobile isn't necessarily stable. And that's, that's very good. a very scary, yeah, it's a very scary thing for people to even think like, Oh, I'm moving. Well, that's gotta be good. Yeah. Let's throw a lot of weight on it and see what happens. Yeah. And it's like a lot of, you know, if I said, Hey, get really, you know, get a deep tissue massage, feel really mobile. Now get on a squat rack and, and max load. And most people are like, Whoa, I'm not sure I'm, I don't know if that would be okay. And I said, well, wait a minute. I thought more mobile equals better. And some people might say, yeah, I'm not sure I'm ready to get under full load. You know, so I would say that they intuitively understand that that doesn't necessarily always jive, but we're constantly fed this, this thing that says, you know, the medical model is, um, I'm sure in the UK is the same as Canada is in the US. The medical model is four steps. We do, we take care of, pain first we take care of inflammation second 
right? And then we take care of mobility and then we, then we try and deal with strength. That's the four-step process. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And so if they, you can see that most therapy people will pretty much be crowing once they get through that mobility part, they're like, see, wow, look how that's moving. Yeah, you're ready to rock and roll now. And now they send you over to strength and hand you a ditto sheet or tell you to do your homework or, you know, and they kind of leave you at that point, almost like, okay, we're done. And I would say that, that most people, when they're doing their own self-care, they think they're done at, at mobility too. Like they think once they've established something moving, they're like, okay, we're good. And if they haven't done it, they've done it with a lacrosse ball. They've done it with uh, acupuncture. They've done it with heating or self-massage or foam rolling. They might not be ready to, they might not be strong. They might not, like I said, you know, the strength part is stability. They might not be stable. And so I would probably say that if you're trying to acquire range, like, hey, I want to get my feet to relax, then I have to start thinking about what am I going to do to start to even isometrics or things that I want to do to get them to start to contract so that I know that I've prepared them for exercise. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%, 100%. And it's one of those things I think you have to remember, like there's normally a reason why the body's tightening up on something. And it's mm-hmm. a response, from my opinion, to like protect you. So if... So your glutes and your hamstrings have gone very tight for a reason. It's probably because your body lack, uh, has noticed there's a massive amount of instability somewhere, probably your hips. So it's doing yeah. it to stop you from hurting yeah. yourself, essentially. 100%. So I think that's sort of the, the one paradigm that, that most people want to get rid of is like they have tightness. and It's almost tightness like taking the handbrake off a car before it's getting in. You take the handbrake off and then it hits the wall because you didn't have the... Yeah, you didn't have the handbrake. <laughs> you keep in place. Yeah, so I think that the the idea that that the body has the ability to control stuff and if it doesn't it tries to find a solution and some of the solutions we just don't like and so some of those things like oh i mean we're fed this in whether it's pharmaceutical you know i don't know if you guys get the same kind of commercials we do but if somebody says you know you have pain just take this drug uh you know so you can go out and enjoy a game of golf or you can go out and have your run because you need you deserve your run and i'm like wait a minute if you have pain and tightness the body's saying we probably shouldn't run right now, and if you if you get rid of that, then then where's that inability? You know, the body. Now I went out and ran a race, or I ran a, I went out and played golf anyway, and now while well, I'm sore anyway, I'll just take my, you know, I'll just take my drugs, and now I can just keep going and having my fun. I think, I think the body's idea, as you said around. perfectly, yeah, yeah. If you said, well, this is again, we get back to normal and common. Every bodybuilder hurts. Okay, then. Uh, it's just normal and nobody questions. Is this it really, is this normal? Like this isn't normal. It's, uh, I don't think this is optimal for me to be sore, but because we're all sore, we believe this, you know, kind of false profit of, Oh, this is, this is my badge or this is my, um, my proof that I did something correct. Yeah. I'm broken. Yeah. How dude, how sore are you? Oh man, I'm crushed. Oh dude, I'm so (laughs) sore. Yeah. And we all clap hands and, you know, let's get after it today. And, yeah, and so the, the process, the, yeah. And repeat the process like some weird subculture. And so I think that if you could say, Hey, I've got to prepare the body. I could probably look at, you know, light isometrics, um, and prepare the body, you know, after I've loosened something, Hey, I could do some active stretching. Most people have some concept of passive stretching. Most of us have very little concept of active stretching. And if you added some active stretching into most of your routines, you'd be shocked how, I think, how better your joints would feel. Um, and you could, tar- you could target more and more range, or at least this is how much range I have, 
because I can actually stretch and tell you how much I can hip flex. I can tell you how much I can dorsiflex. Well, now that's how deep I would squat. And again, it's where I would. Anyone who's training, they're looking to build mostly likely muscle tissue. And again, it's the same thing that Ben Korsky and everyone goes on about is just staying within the active range where you can actually construct, construct, sorry, construct, contract the muscle fiber you're trying to target. If you can't mm-hmm. load your quad at the very bottom of a squat, then you probably shouldn't be, be there. If that's what you're trying to target, then it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You're, you're, yeah. I get a lot of bodybuilders that ask me and say, Oh, you like partials. And I said, well, wait a minute. If this is the full range you can contract, then that's your full range. But people, because it looks like the machine moves farther. Um, yeah, they think they should. Yeah, they should move as far as the machine moves. Or, you know, it's kind of an, a weird imposed thing that says, oh, you're doing short range. Well, that's where I feel my pec the whole time. Or that's where I feel my hamstring the whole time. If I move farther and now I feel my calf, I can, you know, move more weight or I can move this full range. But I don't, you know, I don't feel my hamstring the whole time. Then I'm probably not, then that's, I've moved past whatever I can contract. Does that, that's a pretty simple you know, sort of rule of thumb that I usually apply. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Would you say like going on that line as well, I think everyone presumes that everyone's body is exactly the same, so they can do every single exercise and do the same range as we've already said. But in reality, everyone's got completely different biomechanics in the way they're built, the way they're set up, mm-hmm. male, like heights, weights. Um, and I think that's something that people probably need to be more aware of as they don't think about, okay, how am I going to fit into this movement? How does this, fit in for my body in terms of executing this correctly to get the most out of it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it, it's interesting. And in, in certainly in North America, we have a, you know, almost this attachment to, you know, everybody can just go out and practice and everybody can do everything, you know? And if you just put in the practice, everybody could be look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like if you had a client, a female client, look at a picture on a bodybuilding magazine and say, Oh, I don't, she just started. She never worked out before in her life and stare at the picture and say, oh, I don't want to look like that. And they're staring at a picture of, of like a world-class bodybuilder, top 10 in the world, male or female. And you're, you're like, oh, yes. because if you just, like it's just, just a question of decision and you're going to look like that. Like yeah. I, I think we have this fascination. It doesn't just happen. It's like the thing, the yeah. thing we laugh is I get people sign up, not, not to discredit people, when people sign up for programs, like I want to get big, but I'm not going to get too big. It's like, trust me, you won't get <laughs> Like it's not that easy. <laughs> yeah. Like we have a long ways to go before we start deciding yeah. what too big is, you know, yeah. like it's not going to happen tomorrow. You know? right. Oh, that, I, bought, I bought the car the wrong size. Oh, damn it. You know, so, yeah. you know, yeah, I think so. When we start thinking about how everybody does exercise, we apply the same, you know, even educated public is applying the same thing. Oh, this is how deep Ben squats. He has great legs that's what a squat looks like. And, you know, we've never even seen Ben in person or we've never, we just see Ben in a pose or we see Ben in a picture and we should approximate what he does because obviously he's successful. So I'll do what he does. And, and it's almost that same idea that it's just as simple as doing what everyone else does. And if you force yourself into the body positions they do, you'll see the results they get. I think, and I, and um, I think it's like a sheep mentality. I think it's a problem. Same thing with the social media doesn't help. Like with a few people in the UK who will start doing a certain exercise and then you see half the world suddenly wants to start trying to do like a stiff leg deadlift or whatever it might be because they think, oh, this is the, the secret to building whatever. Yeah. Um, when in reality... The secret, secrets of the pros, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like in reality, it's probably not going to work for 99% of people. Yeah, I've had I've had friends of mine that, 
I mean, I could miss personalities and uh, I help with an awful lot of people to do some social media stuff. And every once in a while they post something that is, is really fantastic, but I have challenged them privately because I don't want to make them say, I've said, look, you, you can't post something. I think it's almost, um, inconceivable that people post something with no idea how long it took them to get there. You know, like they post something that looks like at the end of the journey, you know, at the destination, this is what I looked like, but they never showed you the full, what you it know, took. it's almost like, yeah, they, they just show you, wow, look at that guy. He's been pressing 600 pounds, but they don't show him at the start or they, he doesn't present, you know, I saw one of my clients did like a Turkish, a Turkish get up with a bar with, you know, like 135 pounds. Jesus. With a fl- and I was, I was so impressed. And I said, I sent him a message. I said, look, you, you can't, like, how long did that take you to get to that spot? You know, this is not a kettlebell. This is a full 135 pound bar, you know, and, and he, I watched him do it and he posted on Instagram and I was like, wow, that's so you impressive. Send me the link of this now. I'm intrigued. <laughs> and I have to say how, how potentially, dangerous is this to post because people are going to load up 135 pound bar and think if he can do it, I should try. And, yeah. and, and I think that's sort of one of the, 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 the negative potentials of, you know, sort of crazy stuff that get posted on Instagram is nobody's interested in things that are just normal or yeah. that are, you know, Hey, here's day 75 and here I'm working away on this. And, you know, almost everybody wants to jump to the end again and say, Oh, okay, this is what, Bootylicious workouts look like, or this is what you know. This is how I'm going to get glutes like nobody's ever seen, or this is how you know I'm going to do these crazy things. Sensationalist sort of attitude. Hundred percent. Yeah. Not the reality. That's one thing I always like to convey is like the rawness of what I do on a daily basis. So you sort of obviously how you get from A to B is just trying almost like to document that journey so people can see what I do on a daily basis. How you live your life, and then like the accumulation of that over a period of time to see you get on the journey to where you want to be. Which, well, obviously, I've documented some of the bits in terms of like improving my ankle mobility and bits and pieces. And I need mm-hmm. to get back on that bandwagon in a big fashion. But again, that's something else I want to increase the amount of awareness that I'm doing to help a lot more people because I think there's so many other people who suffer with this these sort of problems, but just get fobbed off by the mainstream medical community or uh, just aren't educated or aware and to know any, be any the wiser really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, there's a huge, you know, everybody what's going to get eyeballs in today's world is fantastic stuff. And, and I have no argument that, wow, you know, I, it drew my eyeballs. The question is, you know, how um, potentially dangerous or, or how is that going to lead the unsuspecting public of this is possible. I should do that. Or I should do everything they did because somehow, that will have me looking like this world-class athlete, you know, um, that I just decided to follow today. And now I'm, I'm just going to try that thing that they're doing. And it's some weird, if I just put it in the practice and I'm like, wow, you have no idea how many steps they took. I mean, it could be 10,000 steps and you're deciding to go, you know, eight to triple Z in, in one second and wonder how you got hurt. So, you know, obviously that's again, where I see sort of the missing link in a lot of that is that, that you can still get eyeballs, just start giving some people some fair, you know, sort of look of, yeah, this is me working on stuff. This is me, you know, presenting my weaknesses. I, I, I love when I see stuff on Instagram. Yeah. Like weaknesses are when somebody shows a fail, when somebody yeah. shows a fail, I, I think that's brilliant. I think that is like, 
you know, wow, that's real because the person's saying, look, I missed a lift, you know, and it's not some like fail army, like, oh my God, the guy almost died. You know, it's like, it's like they lift and you see them actually not, you know, finish a lift. I think, oh, there you go. That's- well, yeah, it shows, um, shows the, the realness of the person that they're happy to put that out there, not just the glory. Yeah, like I'm success real. Yeah, I think that's sort of the the challenge is everybody's Facebook, Instagram is showing some weird version of of alternate reality of, you know, I'm only going to show you the the best pictures. I'm only going to show you the, you know, and I think that's sort of the fitness community's challenge is there's sort of a, like, do you remember in old uh, bodybuilding magazines that you would, I mean, you're not that old, but there would sort of be a start picture and there'd yeah. be an end picture. And, and you sort of kind of go, okay, from there, he got to there. So kind of think it should look like this but if there was something weird in the middle you never would have seen that part you know it was you know and obviously nowadays with everything is video and and you know vlogs and stuff that you're going to have access to seeing a lot more things moving and maybe people don't look at pictures anymore (laughs) but you know digital moving content now yeah there's so much moving content but it's just like that sense of you know is there even a that's a start and that's an end and you're going to figure out the rest and hopefully it works out for you you know so I think that that's sort of a, an interesting thing to see people like yourself trying to put content out that is that is giving them access to the journey or saying, here's some in-between steps. Yeah. Don't, like, even you know, today, for example, I put something out of my story today of me doing like a body weight, single leg, like lunge because my strength on one leg is terrible, to be honest with you. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to document all these bits and pieces that I'm trying to correct and the reason why I'm trying to correct them and also like put myself out there and show, look like I'm by no means perfect. I've got tons of like hidden flaws all over the place in my training. I'm trying to like dig deeper into find people like yourself to help me try and fix and then improve mm-hmm. forward and then set that as an example and a case study that other people can really like use like, Oh, Charlie had this problem with his flat feet. He did this, he fixed it because for me, like I haven't found anyone else really who, has documented anything like that to a great deal. And I think it's something that's valuable information that will just give more people an insight into what can be done. If you do have a problem, you can get it fixed. Yeah. I think uh, my entire business is geared around people that don't fit in the normal, you know, that are looking for ways to fix their own problems are looking or they don't, you know, they're doing all the normal therapy and it still doesn't work. And so now they're going to turn to, you know, other authorities or other people on the internet or whatever to say, does anyone else have this problem? You know, I've done everything that they say is supposed to work. And, you know, there's a much larger population out there that doesn't fit standard of care, whether it's, you know, they're, that's why they do all the exercises and they don't get the same development. They do all the exercises and they get overuse. You know, they think they're doing it well, but, and you say, well, there's some other things to learn or, you know, there's some other parts of the path that they never thought to, they just thought start and finish. And so I think, you know, people like yourself that are going to lead the way to, to kind of bridging that gap and say, look, not everybody that looks great is perfect. Not everybody that, you know, you've got a lot of development, you put a lot of time in, um, you know, you're a good looking guy, you're athletic, obviously. And yet, if we look at one lens, he looks perfect. And if you start saying, no, well, actually, we're all real people. I'm working on these things. And yeah, we all have little pieces of problems, then I think that gives a lot of people, you know, more, I don't know, hope is the wrong word, but, you know, more context that yeah, allows yeah. them to start it's saying, reality. hey, they don't think it's yeah. a perfect situation. Yeah. Not everybody looks. It gives them a, an idea that 
I think a lot of people love an excuse that, oh, I've got a knee problem or a back problem. It's like, we've all got a problem. Like, I've got the internal rotation in my left shoulder at the top uh, really badly, really poor, weak lower traps, very flat-footed, and barely any unilateral leg strength. Like, the list mm. goes on. Like, no thoracic spine mobility. <laughs> like, it's it's sure. endless. We start picking like people apart, but people look at only, like, almost things on the surface level and think everyone's perfect and think, oh, like, that guy hasn't got any issues. Um, my knee hurts, I can't achieve X, Y, Z. And like, ultimately, if someone wants to get in shape or change their physique or their life, they can do it, but they have to have the mindset that they want to go and be open-minded and find someone to help them achieve whatever their goal is, whether it's getting in shape or getting muscles firing again and not having any pain. Yeah, uh, 100%. I mean, I think very, very, very well. I can't, I can't improve upon that really other than just, you know, that sense of, um, yeah, either, oh, he's perfect. I'm going to try and do what he does. I have knee pain. So I can't be perfect. Therefore, I should bo- shouldn't bother trying. Yeah, I'll just give up. And yeah, I'll just give up because I don't. You know, I can't build. The, not all the parts are in the Lego box. I can't build it. Then okay, I'll quit. You know. And so I, I think that the idea that that uh, real people are looking great and you know exercising hard and pushing themselves and still you know struggling with stuff, but not in a bad way, but are actually trying to say, can we? Can we? inspire people to be problem solvers and say, okay, obviously the normal, there's something different about me, not in a bad way, but I have to figure that out. You yeah, know, I have to learn. Yeah. I have to learn to control that. I have to learn to participate versus, you know, it's easy bake oven and I just put it in the oven and it comes out a cake. It comes out you perfect. Know? Yeah. It comes out perfect. I don't have to do anything. It's like, well, I would argue that most people, uh, there are some amazing athletes or people out there that, and just go in the gym and I swear they get bigger by just inhaling, you know, just, <laughs> and then other people, they, they would look at you and maybe not think that you've worked hard, you know, or that you have to work hard. That's where the interesting thing I think comes a lot with, um, not bad value anyone at all, but like say people will look at someone just because he's got an incredible physique and think he's an amazing trainer. And as we were talking about, it was often the people who have the best physiques know often the least because they can do whatever they want and it will work. Where some yeah. who sometimes might not have quite as good high level physique, they've had to go around a lot of issues, a lot more complicated issues, like problems, to try and get yeah. to the end, same sort of end result. Um, which I always think is an interesting sort of concept. Well, yeah, if you have like somebody walks in and they barely study, they barely show up to class, and they get an A, and you know you get someone else that's a, a, a D student, they show up for class and you teach them all these good basic things and they work themselves up to to an a well they're both getting an a but one you know kind of walked in and just does it and the other had to kind of earn it and so you know you might look at the two of them and think oh there's nothing different about these two guys and like well wait a minute one had to learn all the way along and had to earn it all the way along and the other you know might blow something up because they just never even thought about how well they train they never they just do it and it seems to work for them until something tears off until they get hurt, you know, and then they have no study habits, so to speak. They have no way of getting back because they never really earned it. They just showed up and, you know, started off kind of great. No, I hundred percent agree. Now to sort of finish this off, is there any particular tips you could say for anyone in a, as a bit of a general term, but for people to try and look for finding movements that fit in with their physique or any sort of points that the things they should try and watch out for? Well, so some of the things that, because I have to do an awful lot of counseling sometimes and coaching to athletes that, you know, I can only 
observe through a video or, you know, so sometimes when I'm working with, um, especially if the person's more athletic, but, but it's very funny if I said filter your exercises, um, based on one things that make you feel good. And that's hard because a lot of people just get trashed in the exercise community, but there's exercises. If you use the bias of, you know, what makes you feel athletic? Yeah. When you, when you do like it moves well in. Yeah. Like when you do something and you feel athletic, um, that would be one way to filter some things out. If you don't, uh, one way, you know, if we're talking about mind muscle connection, you don't necessarily need to know your anatomy, but if you feel an exercise very well and you seem to have an affinity for it, it's probably in your, in an exercise that feels great and it fits your mechanics and, and you have access to those tissues. I'm saying great. But if you are doing something that feels like, man, that, that I don't feel athletic doing this. I don't feel, uh, I feel vulnerable. It's kind of a funny thing to say, but you know, I don't feel connected to this exercise. Um, or you feel frustrated with an exercise. I, I would drop it out of your rotation, um, at least for a day or so or a week or so and see, is it just something that I'm going through or it's something that I can't figure out. And then that would be where a place I would probably hire a coach and have someone taking a look at you or, you know, send me a video or something like that where I'm like, Oh yeah, you're moving too far. Or the, you know, I would take down loads. I would take down ranges. I would make you hold things very still and almost get you experience. Where do you feel the exercises? Because I definitely agree with Ben and a bunch of people are saying, you know, mind muscle connection. If you can't feel it, um, there the bodybuilding community does have a little bit of a, an advantage. If you can't feel it where you're supposed to feel it, you know, this is an exercise for biceps and you feel arms. It's kind of like, well, mm, you know, yes, your biceps are in your arms, but the exercise should feel like biceps, you know, predominantly biceps. If you feel this is a pec exercise and you feel shoulders or triceps, I would say, yeah, whatever range or whatever exercise you're doing or whatever load you're doing is not going where you think it's supposed to be going. So I would say that fitting exercises to your, to how you become aware, I would say that's probably a big thing. And again, the more athletic someone is, if they're doing compound movements, kettlebells, swings, something, wood chops, whatever, uh, Olympic lifts, if they don't feel athletic doing it, there's something wrong. No, I agree. It makes total sense. And the other thing I'd, I'd probably add to that I found personally is that sometimes you need to drop the weight a little bit to sometimes actually feel the movement a little bit more correctly where you want to feel it rather than just mm. biasing, biasing a, like a moving the weight from A to B sort of thought process. Think about actually contracting yeah. the muscle you're trying so, to train. Sure. So if I, if I take a client through that or an athlete through that and I say, here's, a, here's an exercise and we experience what, what bicep curls feels like and they're like, wow, I really feel my biceps. And I increase the load. I uh, increase the time. I increase the something. I make them move slower, whatever it is. And it, I say, is that more bicep? Yes, that's even more bicep because we've increased the stimulus and the challenge. And then I increase the load again and it becomes less bicep. Then and at some point I increase the load again and it's even less bicep. Like biceps are in there, but it seems like everything else is helping now. At some point, at some point, if I kept up with well, more is better, more is better. At some point I, I'm, I'm making it uh, more acceptable for their technique to fray further and further from what I wanted. Yeah, and so the quality, the quality is starting to drop to come up with that kind of quantity. So very often that, that, that explanation of trying to, to be careful about quantitative measures being the driver of the bus. And you have to understand what is a qualitative measure, like how well you do it, where do you feel it? Do you feel in control of that? 
Uh, do you feel stable and athletic in that position and, and with those movements? And you just keep upping the numbers somewhere. Oh, do it more, do it longer, do it heavier, um, do it farther. And somehow you lose that experience. Then that all of that is too heavy, too far, too, too long, whatever it is. Does that make sense? Oh, 100% agree. 100% agree. And I think that's where people need to leave their ego at the door sometimes with the way they're training and training with their brain, not their balls. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> good finishing point. Yeah, totally. Um, so we'll wrap up there then, Eric. Thank you so much for this. Like, been some huge amounts of knowledge in there that I've picked up from that. I'm sure everyone will find very, very helpful. Uh, particularly oh, well. The nasal breathing. Well, was, uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. It was a, it was a great... Uh, a uh, chance to sit and chat again and, and connect and have some ideas passed around. Yeah. And I'll, I'll keep you up to date with my progress with my, uh, my own MAT. And how, how can anyone um, find out and reach out to you, Eric? Um, I have a website core muscle activation. Yeah. Um, com is my website, my company website. If you're here in Toronto or North America, um, you can access me through their uh, contact, that kind of stuff. I'm on Instagram as core underscore muscle underscore activation. Um, I do get an awful lot of people that reach out to me there. Um, and yeah, I don't give out my phone number or email <laughs> anymore. I used to. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. Yeah, probably the less to do that one. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. So, absolute pleasure to speak with you, Eric. And uh, I'll pop all your contact details in the show notes here for anyone who wants to get in touch with Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again for the opportunity. That was really great. My absolute pleasure. Thanks, Eric.